Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Next Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering five conversations from episode 18, our discussion with endocrinologist Cilial Kausi about intersections between hepatology and endocrinology. Plus, from the vault, conversation 49.3 from season two, one of our first conversations about interaction with our endocrinologist friend, Ken Cousy. Louise Campbell starts this conversation by asking whether it makes sense to look at a comprehensive blood profile for all patients, given the interplay of various metabolic diseases and their impact on multiple organs. Jorn Schottenberg says the idea might be appealing, but says it will require far more provider education so that the benefits of this approach become clear to the professionals who must deploy it. Celia Alcazi notes one challenge with this approach. By the time patients are diagnosed, most have disease for long enough that we cannot stage patients based on the sequencing of their diseases, whether they got diabetes first or fatty liver first or whatever else. To Celia, this makes a simple test like FIB4, which pins down multiple diseases at once, more viable. Separately, Louise asks about the impact of PNPLA3 on all this, which leads to a comment from Jorn Schottenberg that, as a colleague put it to him, genetics loads the gun, but environment pulls the trigger. This leads Jorn to an interesting anecdote about Beethoven and the nature of his liver disease. As the conversation winds down, I ask Cyril the simplest way for endocrinologists who are not associated with hepatology practice to proceed. She suggests we start with FIB4 and provide clear guidance on where to turn next and how the entire care pathway will work. In the end, she says, regular interaction and communication, the kinds of things that occur weekly in meetings in her hospital in Lyon, are crucial to any success. In an episode some two years ago, Jeff Lazarus made the statement, and I quote, hepatology cannot go it alone, end of quote. Since then, everything we've learned about the interplay of fatty liver and other metabolic diseases suggests that no specialty can go it alone, given the interplay of organ diseases and the ever-deepening challenges of poor diet and others related to social determinants of health. This episode is just one direction we should all expect to see more of going forward about working together. So just sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the dialogue in our LinkedIn discussion group. Louise Campbell. So do we think from what we've what I've listened to so far, going back a little bit in the episode here, whether or not it's worth looking at a metabolic blood profile that it includes some of the essential, obviously liver, so that we could do nephrofibrosis, FIB4 plus HbA1c and all of those sort of meta design, uh, something that may well be more comprehensive given the vastness of metabolic syndrome and disease. So bringing all of those collegiate uh, organizations together to say this is what we consider essential. Jörn Schattenberg. I think it's an interesting thought. The message, uh, of course, we want to send is simple and it's easier to be specific on one organ system, right? You could think of doing like a metabolic screen and I think from a research side that'd be interesting. But if it comes to practicality, it needs to be very closely linked to a consequence to the physician and to to act on, on a certain test. So I think we need more education if we go down that line to really explain why this test has been been done and what it means uh, in terms of follow-up. Jorn, that makes sense to me. If I remember correctly, the cluster in the uh, Swedish uh, study that's most strongly associated with fatty liver, kidney, heart, all that was the strong insulin resistance cluster. Do I, do I recall that correctly? Cyril Kausi. Yes, exactly. And also what I was pointing out, the study was not designed like that, but when we looked, when they looked specifically on liver enzyme and test and the signal we are using, you know, a surrogate of a fatty liver and uh, it was interesting to see that at the diagnosis of the diabetes, there were some patients that already have nephrology, and these are probably nephrology-driven 
diabetes, meaning they had first insulin-resistant hepatic steatosis, and then it leads to the development of uh, type 2 diabetes. Whereas there are some other subtype, and there's another cluster where there is it's diabetes first, and then they may progress eventually with age with uh, fatty liver, and this one probably are the one that may not develop severe stage of uh, liver disease because the the onset of nephrodisease l- uh, comes later. But the problem is. This is a very nice study when you pick everyone at the diagnosis very early on. Most of the time when you meet a patient uh, and when a patient is referred to you with uh, a diagnosis with type 2 diabetes, you have no idea which was first. Was it nephrodi? Was it diabetes? And if he had steatosis now, what does it mean? Is it, does it mean that the exposure of, of uh, fatty liver is, has been ongoing for more than 20 years, 15 years or whatever? Or is it, you know, so this is the, the thing that are very difficult to catch in clinical practice. And this is where going back to something very practical, clinically applicable, we need very easy tests. And uh, what has been shown is that if we use a very simple test like the FIP4, we are able to catch a certain number of patients and with, which is associated with a prognosis of the disease regarding liver disease, but also global mortality and uh, prognosis of cardiovascular disease as well. So it's interesting. Did PNPLA3 play any part in the difference between the groups at all? Probably, yes. I didn't recall if uh, there were one study uh, showing uh, an association, but uh, the thing is the the, um, the PNPLA3 is very, very um, strong signal and associated with uh, the development of hepatic steatosis. So I'm not sure, uh, and we would need to demonstrate that it could be useful, you know, for a screening and a genetic screening, which uh, has not been demonstrated if I'm not uh, wrong John you may comment on this but you can catch specific population but then it's still uh, the the prevalence of PNPLA3 is uh, quite frequent so um, uh, the frequency of the LL is quite uh, important so it may be not as useful as a clinical test and uh, to to pick the patient but yes of course PNPLA3 is involved in the disease for sure. There's strong determinants and uh, as a colleague said the other day it's genetics that loads the gun but it's the environment that pulls the trigger uh, and you need the impact. Um, and just to follow up on that, there was mo- one month ago in, in actually the Nature's Journal, um, there was a hair analysis of famous Beethoven, uh, as you might uh, have seen or not. And he was actually a PNPLA3 carrier and the source of death was cirrhosis with ascites. And uh, it was always blamed on his alcohol consumption. But uh, on top of this, they actually figured out he was not only PNPLA3 positive, but he also had happy uh, in history. So uh, he was quite... Uh, liver diseased. And, and even at that time, uh, PNPLA3 probably did his share to his death. But the irony of Beethoven was he lived to the average life expectancy of somebody with liver disease in the 1800s. What does that say about modern healthcare? Because I think it was about 57 or 58, wasn't it? And that's the average age of death in the UK for somebody with liver disease. So it, it, it's a bit frightening. And that's only one disease, not three. So you're, you're suggesting we've not made a ton of progress in the last 200 years on this, huh? He did well being happy, PMPLA3 and alcohol. 
people. So he had multiple diseases yet managed to get to a relatively fair age with the medicine available in those times. So I don't know. You answer that question. Louise, I have to tell you, I'm, I'm hearkening back one week to the audio engineer drinking game and that your winning entry was keep it simple, stupid, or the, not your winning entry, but the line most of the associated with you was repeating Stephen uh, Harrison's admonition to keep it simple, stupid. And I'm one, um, and Celia, let me ask you this. If the trick is to make this simple enough for endocrinologists who are not working at institutions with a joint clinic to become engaged, what is the simplest pathway to do that? Uh, excellent question. The best way would be first automatic calculation of FIP4 because then you know it pops in, the, in your eyes directly when you look at the chart of, and the biological chart. But then easy access to uh, try to find a way to uh, then have an easy access if needed to liver stiffness assessment. So there's multiple ways to do that. You can use platforms. Uh, it can be implemented in a, in a clinic close to you. But definitely you need something very standardized, doing all, always the same process and with easy access to the, the different step of the a screening algorithm in order to make sure that it would be working. And then at the end, you need to have your favorite hepatologist. You need to know uh, where you will refer and you need you know, to have the whole pathway. Otherwise, uh, it's, it, it may not work. So identify in the setting, in the community, who can work with you, but you really need to interact. How am I doing it? Uh, what step each of us is going to, to perform? And it's really, there's no other way than talking to each other. I think this has been very helpful in Lyon uh, Hospital. We have a monthly board uh, with hepatologists when we discuss cases. And this is how we get to uh, implement a smooth pathway where, you know, there is no question in the end because we agreed on every step and how we can refer the patient. So it takes a little time, that's for sure. But uh, interaction and communication remains a key factor to implement this pathway based on my experience. And now, back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please put them in the review section of the page from which you downloaded this conversation or send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. Next week, while we are spoiled for choice, we have not decided exactly what topic to cover next week, but I promise you it'll be a good one. So until then, stay safe, surf on. We'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye now.